okay, I might have saw Jesus really quickly. And I think so many times, like, we take those things for granted. And I don't want to anymore. I do not want to. As we talk today, I'm going to give you a little bit of a story back of when I was in college. These are always dangerous stories because it shows some of my pridefulness in my falls. I was about a junior right there, and I don't know if you've been in college or not, but when you are in college, um, you don't have a lot of money. You're, uh, you're trying to figure out how to find some ramen noodles and some other mac and cheese contraption that works. And if you get chicken, hallelujah. Well, one of the teachers had a job. He was like, hey, I cut down a bunch of wood. There's a bunch of trees that are cut down. I need them moved up this hill, up to, the, to this truck bed. And it's, you know, just throw it in there. And I'll pay, and there was three of us, I'll pay you three guys $1,000. Okay? We're already splitting that money up. Okay, that's 333 Like, working it out, is that 25 cents, 26 cents a part? Like, so we're trying to work it all out. We're like, yes, we're doing that. Okay? So you got to imagine, too, at that point, I'm in college. I run track. I'm in pretty good shape. I'm, I'm athletic. I'm doing my uh, kind of stuff. I play ball, basketball all the time. So we get there, and so we start seeing all these trees. Now, at the, when he said hill, it was a little bit more like a 45-degree angle down to this bank. And so we're like, okay, well, you know, we'll go down there. And so, of course, we're starting to grab the small stuff first, and He's like, I got to go off. I'm going to go cut the job, uh, go to another job site. I'm going to cut some wood. You guys start bringing it up, okay? Just start bringing it up, drop it off here, and then we'll be good to go. So the first little bit, we're doing well. Going up, you know, trying to carry it up there, get it up there, dump it back down. Of course, you're starting with the small stuff, and then you start picking up the big stuff. You know, and then we got to lunch, and we're doing all right, but, you know, you're starting to feel it in the legs. You know, it's been a, it's been a full day. It's a Saturday, and a, so, uh, you know, grab a little bit of lunch, go back down. We start doing it, and now all of a sudden, I'm really struggling. And so are my other two buddies. We're about halfway up the hills, and we're dropping off the wood, and just like, and then what starts happening, you see all the other wood down at the bottom that you still got to do. Have you ever done that where you're like, uh-oh, you're starting to compute, being like, I don't know if I can get this done. I don't know. Because then all of a sudden you start realizing I am putting wood about the halfway mark, and I am like, I'm all in the ground. Like I'm holding up the wood, and I'm like, this is, this is tiring. What am I doing? Is it worth the $333.29 anymore? Like what at, where am I at? And all of a sudden, you're like, can I do it? Can I do it? Now imagine Noah. Hey, I need you to build a boat, a huge boat, a big boat that's going to carry two of every kind of animal. What kind of ask is that? What kind of ask is God asking of Noah here? Be in Noah's shoes for a second. Now, most of you know the stories, 
and, and know the story of Noah, but would you process this like, you want me to build what? You want me to do what? The first question, though, I would ask, if I was that, is why do you want me to build a boat? That leads to point number one. There is a problem. My problem is I could no longer get the logs up the hill. I had a problem. I had reached the point I couldn't do it anymore. Now, quickly, let's go through the problem that's going to be attacking Noah and the world that's going on. Just so you know, the Noah story is right in between, it is the middle story in between Adam and Eve and Abraham, okay? It's in the middle. There's, uh, it's funny, the, you'll do the Adam and Eve, and you'll uh, do that, and then the stories go pretty quickly, you'll get to Noah, and it will slow down, and you'll be in Noah for a while, and then there's other little stories, but it goes pretty quickly, and then you will get to Abraham. So, it says this in the beginning of Genesis 6, 9, Genesis 6, 9 says this, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now if you go to verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Now you have to imagine and have to be God sees the human violence, the human bloodshed, the human corruption. Humanity has fallen. Now, you have to remember, it was not too long ago that the people came from Adam and Eve. We were talking Sunday school. It did not take long. You have Adam and Eve. You have Eve taking of the apple, and then Adam going along and taking the apple. The fall. Now, imagine you're just kicked out of the garden. Adam and Eve, they're kicked out of the garden. Where would you stay? Now, most people would say you would probably want to stay pretty close to the garden. You would want to stay pretty close, and, or at least an eye shot of the cherubim and all that of where God's presence was, where it was being. And so then what happens? The story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel happened. Most of you know the story. And the sacrifices, they, they put the sacrifice, and God takes one and doesn't take the other. Now, if you look throughout history... Most people believe that God would have sent fire and picked up the sacrifice. That's shown throughout Scripture. Leviticus 9, 22 through 24 talks about Moses and Aaron's commencement journey. David in 1 Corinthians 21. And then you also have the King Solomon dedication of the temple in 2 Corinthians 7. And finally, the one that most people know is when Elijah builds this altar. And basically, he has all these other false prophets. They say, build an altar. And they start cutting themselves, and they start calling down, but there's no fire. And then Elijah says, pour water on it. Pour water on it. Like, whatever you want to do, my God will come. And then God, the fire comes down. Now, you have to imagine, 
This is what has happened. And all of a sudden, then Cain and Abel story. And this leads to what's happening in verse 6 here. Uh, it says uh, of Genesis 4, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? I want you to listen to verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field, which will be farther out into the world. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I do not know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I am, I am wanting us to, the main section to today, what we're going to be talking about a lot today is that believing loyalty in Christ, in God, believing loyalty no matter what people say or what obstacles may come. Because when we're looking at here, Cain and Abel, they are there in the, God has this, this part and he has this conversation with them that in verse 7 but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It's an obstacle. There's something that has happened. His, his sacrifice was not accepted. There was something there. There was this believing loyalty in God or believing loyalty in self. And you will see that over and over again. Because it was believing loyalty in self that took the apple of the tree and ate of it. It's because we wanted to be our own gods. We wanted to be like God. We wanted to be, it's the apple of the self. And now you're seeing it in Cain. But what is interesting is here, is now there is bloodshed of another human. A bloodshed of another human has now occurred. And it doesn't take long, because if you jump to uh, Lamech, he starts bragging. Even more, in verse 24 of that, he says, If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. He starts bragging about it. Bloodshed is now glorified by man. Then if you keep, keep reading, you see that in Genesis 6, the sons of God, the divine beings, the fallen angels, saw the women and were with them and led to the Nephilim. And then it leads to Genesis 6, 5, right before Noah. Right before Noah, says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Now some people get, I want to uh, focus on the word regret. Some people focused on that word. I think a, a couple of different words. I think the word grieved and sorrowed are a fit better into the context of what's happened. He is grieved of what humans are doing to each other. God knows what's going to happen. He has it, but I think regret brings into our human, our Western culture that of like, oh, made a wrong mistake. No, he is grieved. He is sorrowed by what is happening. 
You have to remember, this is a holy God. A righteous God, one without blemish. And the bloodshed cries out from the ground. It is no joy to perceive. Look around the world today. Sinful, fallen people doing horrible stuff to each other and ourselves. The things humans do to each other today are sick. I'm going to say it. It is disturbing and gross. You don't have to look far at the things we do to children, from trafficking to not wanting them at all, to the, uh, to the elderly, where people say that they are not important, or there's now even countries promoting assisted suicide, to the lust of power, greed, sexuality, it is all open for everyone. Our all holiness and dignity is gone. Do you see that what God has intended for good, we have made a world of bloodshed and evil. There's a problem. But God has a redemptive plan. Point number two. To be part of God's plan, you have to do God's plan. There is a famous video out there of a group of uh, guys and girls, and it's in this video, and it takes about, there's like 20 different characters trying to go into this next section that they have to defeat. Now, they're at the final, uh, the final level, and so there's 20 different people playing 20 different characters, and they're all talking, hey, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to attack. This is what we're going to do. You, you have the, like, and you know how different characters have different stuff. You have the healing ability. You have to make sure this guy stays alive. You have this kind of, you shoot arrows. You got to shoot at this. And so they're right outside the gate to get into the next and final level. And they're all talking about it. They're all discussing about it. And they're about ready to go. And then all of a sudden, one of the characters just goes, Leroy Jenkins, and runs in. And everyone dies instantly because they didn't follow the plan. They, one guy decided, I'm going to do my, was he part of the plan? Once he decided he was doing his own thing, it was over because he did not be part of the plan. You now have Noah enter the picture. Remember, we have a problem of sinfulness. And it says in the scriptures that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Remember, believing loyalty no matter what people say or what obstacles may come. Now you have to really think about what Noah's asking in Genesis 6, verse 13. Because now God speaks to Noah. He says this, So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make room in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, 
and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. And I want to jump to verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah had believing loyalty in God's plan. Okay, I want to show a couple photos here, uh, if possible. The first photo is that is what we view as Noah's Ark. Right there, that when I read my children's stories to them, that's Noah's Ark. They are having a blast on the water. They are having a good time, and I think I could do that boat in about, uh, you know, a month, you know, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, let's take a look at a little bit more of what maybe the boat looked like. Something to that kind of uh, looking arc, and then this one is what is more seen at the, uh, down in Kentucky. That is uh, another representation of what... Uh, the ark would look like. Now, I got uh, into the possibilities, watching a lot of videos about this. It's, it's pretty awesome to see the building structure uh, uh, of this whole process. I am, I'm not going to lie. God is asking Noah for a huge undertaking. This is a big ask. This is a big undertaking. This is something that uh, many scholars believe took 55 to 75 years to build. Do you think Noah ever got tired around year 27? <laughs> or maybe year 2? <laughs> or year 53? Or wherever he was at on that? To, to trust and to be obedient to the ask that God had made him? Now think about yourself. What has God asked of you? Have there been moments where you've been walking and you've been tired in it, but you know what God has asked or called of you. And it might be where you're at in your job, and God might have said, hey, this is where I need from you, and you need to be, be strong in this area. And there's days where you don't want to be part of God's plan. To be part of God's plan, you have to do God's plan. This is no small task. Now, many people believe that Noah just built it by himself. Uh, when it's, it talks about many times when Solomon built the temple, uh, there was many other people. I'm sure that Noah and his family worked together on it and that he could have also asked other people and paid other people to work alongside it. But Noah had to do most of the work as well to accomplish the task. Now, this would have been considered a mid-sized cargo ship in today's day and age. Now, when you see the word, uh, the word measurement of cubit, that was used from the elbow to the tip of your fingers. That's what they used it. So there was a little bit of a difference because some people have a little bit longer. I'm sure they probably used Noah's in, in that kind of setting. But the distances would have at least been 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. Now imagine, even 51 feet high, a basketball goal is 10 feet. 
You had five of those, like, this is, a, this is a big undertaking. But I also want us to also realize that during this time that these men could have done that. I think so many times they, they were well-crafted with wood. They could have worked. It would have been hard work. It would have been like a reminder of someone trying to carry up some wood up a 45-degree angle and very tired, but it could have been done. It would have taken time, and it would have taken effort. Now, you just have the boat part, but you also got to get the animals on there, the whole animals. That's just the boat side of the operation. We also have to talk about how it was collected. Now, I believe that this was a supernatural event. I believe that just like birds migrate today, I believe that there was a culling of a supernatural migration. And we also have to realize that the world looked differently than it did now, before the flood. It was much more where land access, where people could travel and birds could, or not birds, birds could always fly, but animals could travel on land to the boat. And I've always wondered, though, where the boat was located. Was it close to water at all? Was it not? Was it in the middle of nowhere where no, there was nothing, like not even a lake by? You know, like people had to be walking by wondering what's going on throughout the 55 and 75 years. We also have to realize that when, because a lot of people are like, how would you get these certain animals on there? We also have to use that he, the, a lot of those animals were probably very, very young very young, so that they could be, one, small in size, but also, two, reproductive when they got out. And so, there, so there's less storage and less, less area for those different areas. I also want to say that as people look at the flood, the people talk about, was this a worldwide flood or was this a, was this a local flood? Now, People have arguments on both sides. People will say, hey, the, they didn't know the whole world or globe, and it was this way. I, I would say that I would believe that it's a worldwide flood because, one, one because if you're telling uh, Noah, like, hey, we're just going to do it locally, like, why don't you just do a little trip on the other side of the mountain? I'll handle this, and then you can come back. Like, I think there's different kinds of settings. I also believe that if God truly wanted to take care of sin, he has to take care of it everywhere. He can't just say, hey, I'm just going to take care of Mesopotamia or just this area, but all the other areas. So I believe God is taking care of the whole issue. Noah was and is obedient. But even in this obedience, and I think this is where it really starts to hit home today, is point number three. How does the outside world view you? Point number three is, how does the outside world view you? I was lucky enough to go to an IU basketball game recently, and I wore my IU gear. I am telling you this. If there was someone wearing a Purdue gear in Assembly Hall, Indiana, they would have been booed. They would have been booed. They would have stood out. They would have not been accepted. Imagine Noah building a huge boat there. Over the years, you know the locals were talking. You know they were discussing. I'm sure that they probably said some things. 
I wonder how Noah interacted in those conversations. Did he tell him, this is what God said? This is what God told me? This is what we're going to do? What were those conversations? Was he mocked? I'm going to ask you in your life, is Jesus what you're putting everything into? Because I'm telling you, that's the God that told Noah that the only salvation you have is to build the ark. And that is the same God that has told us that Jesus is the only salvation of the fire of revelations. It's the same God that's saying there is only one salvation for you, Noah, and that is to build an ark. That's the same God that said to us today that Jesus is the only option that we have. The boat was finished. The animals did come in. And the waters did come. The earth was flooded. And it was brought back to chaos. Back to the waters of Genesis 1. Remember, the water, it's all, it's all clean. But there's one little boat. One little ship with a spirit hovering over it. It's with Noah and his boat. Genesis 7.18 said this. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the water. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Yesterday, as we were down, have you ever been in a rainstorm for one bad day and you're like, this is getting crazy? Like, imagine 150 days of that. And then I imagine waters coming from the bottom of the earth, coming up and shooting up and water just taking over. This is a massive supernatural, God-ordained moment. This is taking what is happening. There is so much bloodshed. There is so much evil that God is saying we are now putting it into Noah's family. How many people made it? Eight. When Jesus says the gate will be narrow, what are you telling me? There's eight at this point. I am so thankful for the redemptive power of Jesus, of what Jesus has done. The believing loyalty into him. But I'm going to ask you, what, are your, what is your believing loyalty to? Because if Noah cut corners, the ark would have sank. Think, of, think if Noah would have cheated on the work that had to be done. If he would have cut corners or said, ah, we don't have to fill this part in. We don't have to follow what God had said to the letter of the T. We can just do it this way because I know better. I can do this. We are called to be obedient. We are called to be men and women of God. So if God has called you to a certain time and place, I beg you to be obedient to Jesus. Not because God will love you more, but because we are dealing with life and death. Physically, and more importantly, spiritually. God has put some of you as fathers today. Be a father as Jesus would. Some of you are mothers. Be a mother as Jesus would. 
Some of you are bosses. Be a boss as Jesus would. Some of you are employees. Be an employee as Jesus would. And just like Noah was known during that time for the ark, whenever you hear the word Noah, what, are you, what do you think of? The ark, the flood. When people say your name, what are you known for? Are you known for Jesus? Are you known that your believing loyalty is him and him alone? Are you known for other things? I get it. We live on earth. We live. We're human. We live on this kind of stuff. But there is this part of, like, hey, what am I building? What am I putting my trust in? Am I putting my trust in, like, Noah is in the ark for his salvation? Do we put our lives on Jesus like that? Do we, do we pursue Jesus like that? Do we work hard and toil for Jesus like that? Many people out there today will say, oh, if you trust Jesus, your life's going to be better. What? No. Because you're that's not part of the plan that God has laid out for you. He might have your life be really hard. That's not what God... God asked Noah to do something really hard. And he was saved by it. What are we known for? May we be known... Uh, for our walk with Jesus. May we be known to show and be a lifeboat to other people. Because I am telling you, the only lifeboat that people have is Jesus Christ. And at that time, the only saving grace that people had at that time was the ark. It was the ark. And today, all we have is Jesus. It's not our good works. It's not our church attendance. It's not anything. It is on Jesus Christ alone. And that's what we got to continue to remember. Some of us are putting our other ideas and our thoughts on other things that we do. It's on Jesus and Jesus alone. And if Jesus says, hey, I want you not to have sex until you're married, then are we obedient and part of his plan? Are we not? Or I want you to, to give to the poor and to, to do that. Are we obedient or not? God has put different stuff on our heart at different times and places. Some of you might be at a different place than another place. But what God has asked them to be obedient to, I pray that we will. Because I will tell you this, we break promises and we will fail, but God does not. God does not break his promise. We have to remember what happens at the end of the Noah. After the boat, the water recedes, what happens? God makes a promise, makes a covenant. Chapter 9, verse 1 says this, then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. It's a, what's happening? It's a call back to Genesis 1. Right what he told Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. God's mission hasn't changed. Yes, they will fail really quickly and humankind will fall back into sin. But God makes a promise. He makes a covenant. And he says in Genesis 8.21, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And he declared this by what? You can say it out loud. Rainbow. Rainbow. So when we see it, do we still think that is a covenant, a declaration from God himself? Declaration that I will not destroy. And you know what? It hasn't been destroyed by water since then, has it? It's a declaration 
of God's promise to us. Of course, that is mocked today because it is a reminder to Satan and the enemies of God's power, promise, and their ultimate defeat. Do you think that those rainbow is chosen just out of random? No. There's a spiritual battle always going on. Which is why we have been given the order to make disciples and to make disciples of men and women. And like Noah, we will all be held into account. I will be held into account. We will be held into account of our believing loyalty. It might not be into a boat. Your, your operation might not to be like Noah and build a boat, but it might be in some other aspect of the world today. In one day, just as the floods came, Christ will come. 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10 states, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Does it sound familiar? It will come. And as Noah was saved, so too are those who repent and have believing loyalty in the name of Jesus. To end my story with the logs, it was around 3.30 and realizing we're not going to get done. But luckily gracefully, the guy that was paying us pulled back up. And he said, all right, let's finish this up. And he started helping us carry the wood up. And he started helping us put in the rest of the wood, in the big wood. And I felt, and this guy's older than me, and he's carrying more than me, and I felt really humiliating. I felt really like, what am I doing? But at the end, he still paid us the thousand dollars. We didn't, did, we didn't do our job. We failed. To be honest, our, we we signed and we knew what we had signed up for. We had failed. We had messed up. We had not earned our full keep. But he said, "I'll still give you the full amount." What an example of who Jesus is for us. We will fail. We have our trust in him, though. But he still says, here, here's the full amount. That's what that is about. Jesus on the cross, he paid the full amount for us. He will come again. And just like Noah and the ark, there will be people that will say, I want to live my own way and I'm going to do that. But I am also encouraging us to tell people that, hey, he's coming back. He is what my salvation is on. He is what my trust is on. Because I want you on the boat. I want you on the boat. And too many of us have just been, I'm just happy to be on the boat myself. No. God wants us to be in a relationship with him. 
and a community with him. And so I encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever that is, to have believing loyalty in Jesus and to pursue that in however God has committed to you. Because the last thing I'll finish with, God has called me to be a pastor. I didn't know that two years ago. But when God opened the door, I had the chance to be obedient or not. Some of you are nurses. God has given you the opportunity. Are you, wh- how are you doing that? Some of you are supposed to be grandfathers or grandmothers. Or some of you are supposed to play, be in this different role. I am asking you, don't be in the role just to bypass time. Be in the role and be in communion with God and how he wants you to live that. Because I want you to be a boss as Jesus would be a boss. Love your co-workers as your Jesus would. Be obedient to what God has asked. Not just to go through life and be like, hey, if I get this much more money on this, I could buy, buy this or I could do this. No, that's not being obedient. That's just, that's just going through time. Be obedient to what God has asked. Let us not miss those moments. Let us not miss that time. I am very thankful that as that man came back and helped me carry the wood, I will be very, very thankful and blessed to see the Lord Savior come back and save us. Let us pray. Dear Father, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity to still gather on this very, very cold day. But as cold as it is outside, I I hope our hearts are warm to you. And as maybe, God, you spoke today in someone else's heart of how to forgive someone or how to love someone or how to uh, continue to trust in you in different situations, I pray that we continue to trust and obey in even immensely hard situations. Because a lot of us are going through hard stuff right now. But just as Noah had a hard situation Uh, this big obstacle to overcome. He was obedient, and that is what he was known for. May we be obedient. May we trust. May we build. May we be able to to declare your name in all of the world. I thank you so much for the friendships in here today, and may we encourage each other along as a church should. I praise you. I thank you. And as always, may your name be glorified in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. May you be blessed, and please drive safely and have a blessed week.